Welcome. I'm Julie Sedenko here with Leslie Vernick. And today we're going to answer some questions around the topic of speaking up. Leslie, when you're in a destructive marriage, speaking up can be downright scary. And sometimes not safe. And so I think we have to understand that all of us as mature human beings do need to learn to speak up for ourselves. But even Jesus himself says, um, I believe it's in Matthew 7, that don't keep casting your pearls before swine because they will turn on you and trample you with it. So after speaking up a number of times and you're getting negative responses or you're getting um, criticized or you're getting uh, threatened, um, maybe it's not the time to speak up but you need to learn that skill so that you can have healthier relationships. And if you can't speak up with someone because they won't hear you, that's important to know. Well, before we get to the questions, do you have any basic ground rules that can guide a woman who's maybe in a destructive marriage before she goes to try to speak up? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's lots of instructions in the Bible, depending on what you're speaking up about. So if you're speaking about someone else's stuff, you're saying, you know, hey, I don't like that you're watching porn or, hey, I don't like the way you speak to me or, hey, I don't like the way you're treating the kids. If you're speaking up about their stuff, the Bible's really clear. And in, in Matthew, in that same passage where Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine, he starts by saying, hey, don't judge. Don't be the judge and jury of someone else's behavior. Don't jump to conclusions about who they are, what they're doing or why they're doing it. You might want to ask a question. But before you ask a question about what they're doing or why they're doing it, he also says, hey, make sure you take the log out of your own eye before you attempt to remove the speck out of someone else's. So there's some self-personal reflection work that we must do if we're going to speak up or speak the truth in love to someone else. Um, Galatians 6.1 says the same thing. Those who are caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, humbly talk to this person, knowing that you too could be in the same boat. So I do think the Bible warns us that if we have to say some hard words to someone, it doesn't have to be harsh words, but we probably have to do some prep work ahead of time to get ourselves in the right space to do it with truth and love. You know, sometimes we think, well, it's just the truth. But the Bible tells us that the truth can sound like noising gongs and clashing cymbals. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, how much more truth can you get than that? But I don't have love. It comes across harsh. And so I think if we have to have hard conversations with someone, both about what we're feeling as well as what they're doing that's upsetting us, we probably need to do some personal work in preparation for that hard conversation rather than just vomiting out our feelings at their greatest intensity. That's definitely good advice. Um, one of the questions we had, and let's just say she's gone ahead and done her own internal work and she's prepared, but she wants to know if there's a way to keep things calm when your partner has absolutely no interest in hearing your perspective or finding a solution, but he says he wants the marriage. Well, this is a contradiction. So his idea of marriage is very different than your idea of marriage. So perhaps a better question would be, I'm really confused because I know, and I believe you that you want our marriage. But from my perspective, a marriage means that you talk about stuff and you never want to talk about stuff. So what's your idea of a good marriage? That might be a different question that he might feel less attacked by, but certainly could motivate him to ask some internal questions of himself. Like, well, I want a marriage like my parents had. My mom just did what my dad said. You know, maybe he's going to say something very immature like that. 
Um, but it does open the door to a conversation. But let me just say this. Marriage requires tons and tons of conversations about all kinds of things. Um, conversations about just the facts, like who's paying the bills and do we have enough money? Conversations about our feelings, how I feel about something, what I like, what I don't like. Conversations about our dreams and our goals. Conversations about the most intimate things, what really hurts and what really bothers me. Um, and if you don't have safety and some structure to those conversations, they can feel like crazy making house. And so you can't do a relationship of any kind, but especially a long-term relationship like a marriage without the ability to have some conversation. What I think happens in many um, situations is that they never go below the surface of things. So I've taught this before, but let me, Julie, just kind of go over this really quickly. There's five different levels of conversation. This isn't my idea. I got this back in graduate school in the 70s from a priest called John Powell, who said, I can't even remember the name of his book at this point, but... I don't know how to tell you who I am. I think it was the name of his book. But the first level of conversation is just superficial chit-chat. We do this at church. Hey, how you doing? We don't really even expect to hear an answer. I remember one time my pastor said, hey, how you doing? I said, terrible. And he said, good, good. He wasn't listening. Exactly. He wasn't asking really how I was doing. It was just that superficial, kind of like a handshake. Like the it's Walmart friendly. reader. The Walmart reader, they don't care. They don't really want to know, but it's sort of like passing the time as you're getting to greet and meet people. Second level of conversation is the news. So in any family or any relationship, you do have to impart some facts like, hey, do you want to go out to lunch? I'll meet you at so-and-so at 1230. Those are conversations that aren't challenging. They're not confrontive. They're not heartfelt, but they are informational. And so most families do have that level of conversation. Who's picking the kids up from soccer? What time is dinner? It's raining out. You better take your umbrella. Informational, factual conversations. That's the second level of conversation. Most marriages are okay in that area. Here's where it gets a little bit more uh, dicey. The next level of conversation is where you share your thoughts or your ideas on something. So you might say, did you hear that the Smiths are getting divorced? That would be a level two facts. And I think he's cheating on her. So now you're giving a personal thought about that. Or maybe you're in Bible study with your group and you're sharing the facts. Hey, the Bible says this, but I don't think it means what we've been taught it means. I don't think this verse in Malachi that God hates divorce means that you're never allowed to get it. So now you're sharing your personal thoughts on something. And depending on how those thoughts are received, that will either facilitate greater conversation and curiosity, or you'll get shut down. You get like shut it's ridiculous. Down. Yeah. yeah, you get shut down. So when we get criticized, you know, hey, I was dreaming about painting the dining room red. What do you think? Oh, that's gross. Well, then it's harder for you to share and open up to someone else, whether it's your spouse or whether it's your parent or whether it's your Bible study leader or even your counselor. If you're shut down when you start sharing what you think or what you want, the next level is your feelings. So if someone doesn't accept my thoughts, I'm not about to share my feelings because you're getting more and more vulnerable. And so here's that, where- Sorry, is that a big mistake though that some people make because when you feel slighted and your opinion isn't being heard- then you have these feelings and you start sharing them. And is that maybe where it begins to escalate between this three and four? It can escalate between three and four because you're not valued as a person to share a valuable idea where someone would respect that, even if they disagree with it. So where you, know, you hey, would decide, I'm not going to share my feelings. Maybe that's a better 
tactic than I'm going to share my feelings because you just ignored me on a level three and it's not going to probably go very well. Well, it depends. So you don't know that because sometimes people have some bad habits that they just interrupt you or they just disagree with you and they don't realize that that's disrespectful or they're not conscious of that in the moment. So it might be helpful if I had a friend who, you know, interrupted me or disagreed with me in in a public place in a disrespectful way. I might privately later say to her, hey, you know, when you did that, it really made me feel disrespected. Right. So now I'm going to share her with her my feelings. And this is really the part where relationships really show their true colors. Can this person receive my feedback? Can she value that I'm a separate person than her, that I have my own thoughts and my feelings and that something she may have done or said didn't sit well with me? Or is she going to minimize, dismiss, guilt trip, ignore make fun of. And so again, it's sort of like, I remember working with a young couple who had gotten married and they, you know, were virgins when they got married and she, you know, was the whole, you know, the ring, the promise, whatever that was, the purity culture, you know, I'm never going to kiss him before I get married. They get married and she gets undressed their wedding night and he starts criticizing her thighs. No, no. Oh my gosh, you have like all this cellulite on your butt and thighs. And she was Are like, you kidding me? No, it was terrible. And so do you think she wanted to take her clothes off in front of her husband again? Never. It made her feel humiliated. And so that's what happens is when we get criticized or made fun of or rejected in our most vulnerable places, it it shuts us down and we don't want to do that. So going back to your question, it could be that her husband or in a marriage, he grew up in a family where they never went deeper than level two conversations. There's lots of families who never talk about anything. You know, there are times that we go there with someone and they don't know how to respond because they never have had the opportunity as a child to learn to go there. So one of the things that might be really helpful is just for those of you who are having trouble communicating with your spouse is look at their family of origin. How do they talk about things? Do they go deep? Do they, are they honest? Do they argue constructively? Do they share their true feelings? Or is it all about superficial stuff? The news, sports, vacation, the weather, it's nothing deep, it's nothing personal. Then maybe when you start bringing those things up, it just makes him feel like a deer in the headlights. Like I have no idea what to do next, because he never learned to do that in his family of origin. So I think that can give us some compassion. It doesn't mean it makes a good marriage for you, but it can give you some compassion and maybe even enable you to say, hey, I see how your family communicates. They never go deep. They never talk about what's really wrong or their feelings. I don't really want that kind of marriage. I don't really want that kind of feeling. Would you be willing to just learn a little bit about how to do that with me? I love you. I want our marriage to work, but I need more depth to our talk than just who's taking the kids to soccer. So what would a level five be? You said four is your feelings. So four is your feelings. And then level five is you're, you're naked and unashamed. You're able to be totally yourself. You're not just sharing a feeling. You are sharing your essence. You're sharing your heart, who you are, what you care about, what's most deeply important to you. And you trust that that person will guard it, that will protect it, just like in the sexual relationship. 
when you are naked and having sexual relations, you don't expect negative criticism. You don't expect, you expect to be cherished at that level of the most deepest intimacy. And so in the same way, when we expect that in our physical life, that safety and trust, you know, in Proverbs 31, it says he trusts her to do him good, not harm all the days of her life. That's the picture of a good marriage. And it's not, not just in the sexual realm. I trust that you will do me good, not harm sexually, but I trust that you will do me good, not harm emotionally. And so that when we talk about things, even if we are disagreeing on something, or we have very different perspectives, we have very different values, we have very different goals that we can listen and share and go back and forth. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen for a lot of the people that we work with in our population. That's true. I, I remember when I was dating my husband, uh, now husband, we had met on a blind date. His sisters and I worked together. And so they set us up on a blind date. So we went out on the blind date and it went really well, but I was a little older and I'd had other relationships. And I honestly just, I didn't want to waste any time. So literally on our second date, I kind of gave him all the pros and cons of who I am. I laid it all out there and was like, you know, this is who I am. Do you like it? Is it okay? And that poor man, he was just, like you said, a deer in the headlights. Cause I, I went down to probably a level four <laughs> right away, but I just was like, Hey, if you don't like this, um, you know, I, by the way, I probably am not going to like this little town that you live in. So if you don't want to move and just really went too fast, too quickly for him. And he just kind of was like, well, oh yeah, that's all fine. Well, it wasn't all fine, but he didn't feel right about telling me. So after we were married, I was like, Hey, I told you all this. What's the problem? And he's like, I just didn't know what to say. So, right. you know, I had yeah, to so kind of take responsibility that I probably threw that at him way too soon. Yeah. And he wasn't prepared to be as honest or as open and maybe hadn't even given any thought. Like, what do I really want in a wife? What do I really, what kind of town do I really want to live in? He just kind of lived in the moment as many people do. And they don't give that a lot of thought, especially when they're younger. And so for you to come with this agenda, this is who I am. This is what I want. Is this okay with you? It's like, whoa, I guess. <laughs> Not not a good tactic, but I was like, let's not waste any time. Here's the contract. Do you, do you want to sign it or not? <laughs> <laughs> what if there was a biblical way to love a destructive person without enabling him to destroy you? Leslie's Walking and Core Strength program is specifically designed to help you think for yourself. Core Strength will teach you to identify beliefs you have that keep you stuck. Core Strength will help you get honest and stop pretending that things are fine when they're really not. And Core Strength will empower you to understand what you are and what you're not responsible for. You can't make him get it, but there's plenty you can do for yourself. This small group coaching opportunity will show you how. It's open now for a short time. Go to lesliewernick.com forward slash strength to sign up. So what about this question, though, where the lady said, you know, she she's trying to maybe get to a three or a four, but he escalates, he gets angry, and she's not able to keep him calm or keep the conversation mm -hmm. calm. What do you do? So here are a couple tactics. They're not guaranteed to work. So if he's escalating because he feels vulnerable and threatened and doesn't know what to do. So if we understand a man's psyche, 
they hate feeling incompetent. A woman doesn't mind feeling incompetent. It's, you know, when I'm on Facebook Live and I can't figure out how to figure out the computer, I'm like, oh, call my husband and I'll, you know, he can do it for me. If I'm lost, I have no problem stopping and saying, you know, where am I? Give me directions to where I need. My husband would sooner stay lost for an hour and figure it out himself. Absolutely. And ask directions. Yes. So, so if we can understand that our husbands hate that feeling of being incompetent, when we start to have a conversation that they have no idea how to have, they may escalate in their shame and shut down the conversation, not because they wouldn't have it if they knew how to do it. It's that they don't want to face their incompetence. They don't want to face that they have no idea how to go there. And so I think this is really important for a woman to kind of, again, understand the man she's married to, not the man she wishes she was married to or the man she thought she was married to, but the real man that she is married to. And if he is deficient in certain areas, just like if he weren't a handyman, he never learned that from his family of origin. He grew up in a city. He didn't learn to fix a house or mow a grass, all those kind of things. And for you to have these expectations that he's going to be proficient at all this, and then you're angry and upset and shaming toward him because he's not, that's going to set a bad precedent in your marriage relationship because you're going to be disappointed and he's going to be shamed and that usually goes nowhere. And so understand that we all come into marriage with some limitations. What are his, what are yours, right? That's the taking the log out of my own eyes. So I'm not coming at him as if I'm all together and I'm perfect and you're a mess, but Hey, we all have things to learn and we can learn together. And I love you. And I, and I want to get close to you. It'd be like if you were having trouble in your sexual relationship, you know, and that you were feeling shamed or abused, or you had been abused and it was hard for you to be vulnerable that way, or you felt guilty or whatever it is that you, you would hope that your husband would be patient and work through that with you and not shame you or belittle you or put you down for that. In the same way, if he's having problems with the verbal part of it or the intimacy of verbal communication, um, I think it's really important to take it in a different direction. So here would be some tools that you could do. Now, he may not do it, because you can't make someone do their work. Just like if a woman was sexually abused as a child and she's got the most patient husband in the world, if she's not willing to do her work at healing, right. his patience is good, but it's not going to fix their marriage, right? right. And so here, here are some things that you could say, hey, I know having conversations is really hard for you. I can see that you grew up in a family that didn't really have deep or hard conversations. They didn't argue about anything because they never talked about anything. And I don't want that kind of family. I want to be able to share with you. And I want you to be able to share with me. And I know it's really hard for you. So I just want you to know that I'm not judging you. I'm not disappointing you, but I want to grow with you. So that would be a affirming statement about where you'd like to go that he can think about, like, maybe I'd like to go there too, if it doesn't feel too hard and too scary, and I'm not going to feel like a failure right? Because men hate to feel incompetent. So they, they do. usually don't go places where they know they're going to fail. So if they don't think that they could come up with an answer, or they don't think that they can answer you the way you want to, they're either going to stay silent or bully you into shutting up. Well, and especially if that conversation is going to have to do with a way that they failed, or the way that they're not meeting your needs, right? Right, right. So those are extra hard conversations. So again, a way that you might approach this problem of him not being able to go deeper, not the problem that you're, you know, that he's a jerk in other areas, but the problem that he can't even talk about it is there are, there are fun 
conversation cards that you can buy online, couples conversation cards. I don't have the exact Amazon address, but you can Google it or whatever, you know, to bring different levels of intimacy into your conversation. Uh, less and less like Parrot have a set of conversation cards that you can order. And it might be- I'll Put those fun. in the show notes, a link to those, yeah. Yeah, so it might be fun. Like my husband and I play play a game of cards every night after dinner. That's just what we do. We've, we've done it for years in different games we get attracted That's awesome. to. And we, and we play just a game of cards, just to connect and talk and, you know, win, lose kind of things. You might have something like after dinner, one night your turn, one night my turn, we pick a card and we answer the question. And so the question might be, what was your favorite memory from grammar school? All right. So it's asking one of those little deeper conversations. It's not asking, how do you feel about me or any of those right. dangerous conversations, but it's just like, what was your favorite memory from childhood? What, what, what? So you now know something he liked, something that was special to him, and he's going to share it. He's going to think about it and share it. And that's it. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Wow. I never knew that about you. And then the next day is your turn. So it's not like he's on the hot seat all the time. Your turn. What's your worst memory from childhood? Or whatever the question is. There's tons of questions. You can even go through them and say, I'm not ready to answer these. Right? It might be okay. that you make it really safe. And that takes five minutes after dinner, but you're getting used to having more self-reflection, more internal thought as you're asking and answering a question. So that would be one tool that you could try to do to kind of get past that barrier. If indeed he's resisting because he doesn't know how, if he doesn't want to, and he's not interested and he sees you as a wife who's supposed to just serve him and meet his needs, he's not going to do that. Right. But if he is more on the good man side who just doesn't know, a good man who's deficient in certain areas and he wants to grow or he's willing to do it as long as it's safe enough to him to do it without humiliation, then that might be a good good card game to do. Another thing would be to do is set a time limit on the conversation. So okay. sometimes, sometimes people get really overwhelmed with a long drawn out 45 minute conversation and you're you most women are better conversationalists and better arguers than men unless they're attorneys or other kinds of things that they've been trained to do that and so they get overwhelmed and they then they shut down they don't know how to respond so if you can say let's set a timer and I'm just going to, I'm going to ask a question until the timer runs out or I'm going to, you know, we're going to talk until the timer runs out and then we'll done and I won't be mad. And we can resume the conversation a couple of days from now if we need to, but we'll just talk about this for now for five minutes. That can sometimes help them to settle down and not feel so threatened. Like, I don't want to spend my whole night doing this. I don't want to get into an argument. I don't want, so creating some safety boundaries around the topic and the conversation, how long it's going to be, um, can be really helpful. Um, another thing that can be really helpful is, um, I can't, I can't remember who has this technique, but you, you just kind of have the microphone. You can use a marker, you can use a pencil and whoever has the microphone gets to talk and whoever doesn't have the microphone in their hand has to listen. Because you know, sometimes it's just both of you talking over each other, nobody's listening and you can't have a conversation without that. So, so I have the microphone, but you have to only have the microphone for like 60 seconds. So you time yourself and then you have to stop and the other person has to reflect back what they heard or what they thought they heard 
so that there is a conversation going, not just a lecture, right? It's a microphone that you get to talk, you get to listen. And now I get to listen to what you thought you heard me say. And now you get to talk and you hold the microphone and you, so those would be some simple we things. We learned that, that we called it the speaker listener technique. Yeah, speaker listener technique. Yeah. And so that can be helpful if you're willing to practice it. And I think this is the hard thing is that sometimes as adults, we think we should know all this. And so we feel childish or stupid that we don't know how to do this. And so this is where our humility comes in and saying, but we don't, we're not doing a good job at this. Me too. I might know how to talk really good, but I don't listen very well. Like I don't listen to you and I don't listen when you have something to say, I'm over talking you or I'm interrupting you with my ideas. And I need to learn this too. Maybe it's harder for me to listen. Maybe it's harder for you to talk, but we both have something to learn here. So I think that can make a difference with a good man who wants to have a good marriage and cares about you. However, for our audience, for a lot of that, that's not it. They don't see you as a partner. They don't see you as a person. They see you as an object to meet their needs. I have a need, you need to meet it. I want you to do this, you need to do this. But if you were to say the same thing, I have a need, I want you to meet it, it'd be like, I'm busy, I'm busy doing what I need to do, right? And so it's it's not an equal partnership, it's not a healthy marriage. And trying to create that with someone who doesn't want that is almost impossible unless the Holy Spirit really intervenes. So would you say there are times when it's safer for a woman to just, if she's going to stay in the marriage, to stay at a one and two? And is that kind of what you talk about, the term detachment? Yeah. So if you're married to, say, a very narcissistic person who doesn't really care about you, only has you service them, um, then why would you share with them your heart? It's like that casting your pearls before swine. They're just going to hurt you with it, either by ignoring you or criticizing or demeaning you for it. So don't do it. But if you need to stay or you want to stay well for children's sake, for other reasons, then understand if you have superficial conversations, they're pretty nice to you, right? If they are, you can go to dinner together and you can talk about the kids. You can talk about the news. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about our next vacation. You can talk about, you know, all kinds of stuff that you want to (laughs) buy, whatever. He's fine with that. If you talk about what he did wrong or your feelings about that, he's not fine. So you know, okay, we're not capable of going there. Can I live with that reality peaceably inside? Or am I going to be bitter and resentful and angry that he won't go there? And am I going to keep pushing and pushing the bear, poking the bear? And he ends up roaring and biting me. And that's not a good pattern to be in. Very good. Another question somebody asked was, what do I do when my husband, this is probably the opposite of what we were just talking about. What do I do when my husband keeps asking if we're okay or if I'm okay and we're really not, or I'm really not? So I would say to that woman, what's your fear of you being honest? So he's asking you a deeper level question. And obviously there's some vibes in the air that's giving him that feeling that you're not okay and that life is not okay between the two of you. So I'm curious as to what is your hesitation of saying, I'm really glad you asked. No, I'm not okay. And this is why. And I think this is why it's important for both of us to understand a husband and a wife that we have our own work to do, that he may have grown up in a home where marriage was very patriarchal, very superficial. They never got to level three conversations that mom always did everything the husband wanted that. And it was fine with her because she grew up in that era and that's all she knew. 
And so that he's doing that, thinking that that's what he's supposed to do as a good husband. And you're not okay with that, but you've never told him. You've never tested the waters to see if this dynamic can be different, that you're not okay with something, but you're just living with a boatload of resentment or anger. And he can feel that. You can feel that in a household. You can feel that between people. So wouldn't it be kinder just to be honest and see what happens? And I'm not saying honest to the level of saying everything about everything, because maybe it isn't safe to do that, but just to say, wow, you're pretty perceptive to notice that. And I really haven't been okay. I'm unhappy. That's all you need to say. And does he say, wow, I know, I know you've been unhappy. Tell me more. Or does he start criticizing you for being unhappy? You're so ungrateful. There's what's wrong, you know? So then, you know, I'm not going any further. I said one word, I'm unhappy. You're right. (laughs) Can he hear that? And does he care about that? Or is it, he's trying to change that and fix me. And he doesn't even know what I'm unhappy about. He doesn't care. Just change woman, because you're making me anxious. And so that's where, you know, I think sometimes we spill too much and then we regret it, but just say the first word. You're right. Thank you so much for noticing. He's going to like that because he's going to feel good about himself. And then you're right. I'm not happy. All right. And then see what he, where he goes next. If he says, tell me more, or if I knew it, you're always negative. You're always, you know, half, half, Cup half empty girl, you know, you need to go to counseling and help because you're going crazy. You know, then, you know, it's not safe to talk to him anymore. And I think, I think too, if he escalates it, I know sometimes conversations just get heated, even among good people. And at one point that was, that was happening around some delicate conversations with my husband and I, and we finally agreed, you know what, if either one of us says, I don't feel safe right now. The conversation's over. And I even took that to my kids because I know no other mother loses their temper, but occasionally I do. And so I told my kids, if you ever tell me I don't feel safe because if I'm raising my voice or whatever, we'll stop. And I've only ever had it happen once. And I was so mad when she said it because I felt like she was just trying to. But you know what? I also honored that rule. So maybe having ground rules like that um, would help if things escalate. I think it is. I think, again, those are really great rules. However, I I told my kids because I was a a little bit out of my mind when I was a young mother. (laughs) It happens. And and I remember seeing my little guy like looking at me like this and I'm thinking, I don't want my kids to feel about me like I felt about my mom and mm-hmm. I never hit them or anything, but, but it was the same kind of look. And I thought, you know, if I'm scaring you, just tell me, tell me, mommy, you're scaring me. And they did. And I would stop. Yeah, I would stop. And so I think this is where we all have our stuff. It's not just your husband. It's not just you. We all have our stuff. And sometimes our stuff is we're too afraid to speak up. Sometimes our stuff is we vomit out without any thought. Sometimes our stuff is we're afraid to tell the truth because you might not like it or you might reject me. All kinds of stuff we have that we bring into this new relationship called marriage and family that we brought in our own suitcases from our family of origin. Um, And part of our journey and privilege, I think, is to unpack those suitcases together 
in a safe way where we can look at each other's stuff and say, oh, wow, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm so sorry that that injured you in that way, even triggered you so that you don't trust that I'm not going to leave you just because I need a break, right? Because you have abandonment issues, not you have abandonment issues, what's wrong with you, but I can understand you have abandonment issues, your dad left or those kind. Of, and I, I, I need a break from you sometimes. I can't carry on this conversation. I'm not leaving you, but I got I to gotta take a walk. I've got to take a time out. And, and part of our growth or the other person's growth is to realizing they're not there to fix my issues. They're there to actually expose my issues. And I've got to fix my issues, whatever they might be. They do a really good job of exposing our issues, don't they? Yes, especially our children do. But our <laughs> oh husbands and, 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 yes. and we do a good job of exposing their issues too. And I think this is where we've done a really... I don't think we've done a good job in the church of teaching people that marriage is a growing relationship and that there is mutuality and reciprocity. And we talk to each other and to be your best partner, to be, to have someone's back, to say, I'm here for you. Isn't just always on the good side of saying, I'm here for you. I'm telling you that you're not showing up in the, in the way that you said you want to as a dad. You're showing up, you know, indifferent or cranky or angry all the time or impatient or criticism critical towards our kids and I don't think that's the kind of dad you want to be and so as our our speaking the truth and love to our husbands um can help them take stock it's like looking in the mirror we're like the mirror for them that they don't see themselves they're like the mirror for us my husband has said to me that's not the most flattering dress on you well I looked in the mirror I thought it looked okay but he's seeing it from a different angle or from different eyes and that matters to me right and so when we value each other's opinion not necessarily because he's also told me I don't like that and I'm I like it I'm wearing it <laughs> you know? exactly. so it's you know so you know we have to decide but at least it's feedback that we're willing to hear and a lot of these questions are from women whose husbands are not willing to hear your feedback you've tried to say these things you've tried in a good way you blurted it out in a bad way You've written notes, you've sent letters, you've gone to counseling, and they don't want to hear it. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? It means he doesn't want to learn. He doesn't want to grow. He doesn't want to change for whatever reason. It might be because he's arrogant and proud and thinks he's perfect and doesn't need to change. It might be that he's scared and terrified that he's a total loser and failure. And if he admits that he can't do something, that confirms it. And so he's going to defend himself to the high heaven. Either way, the impact is still very tragic for you and your family. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Leslie will answer more of your questions about speaking up in a destructive marriage next week. And don't forget, Walking in Core Strength is now open. Go to lesliebernick.com forward slash strength to sign up. Until next time, may God bless all of your relationships with him, with others, and with yourself.